Robert, we've seen more and more boards of not-for-profit organizations have people with vast commercial experience coming onto the board. And it's interesting to consider and to reflect on the differences in how those players operate in this market than their commercial counterparts might in commercial markets. What is your guidance or what do we need our board members to do for these not-for-profit organizations to recognize the specific challenges facing this quasi-market? So I think the first thing that people coming into this particular space is to try to understand the space they're in. And that sounds uh, really very simple, but it's quite complex. Yes, you're entering into an area which ostensibly looks like any other business, but they're not. The one thing about not-for-profits is they are not any other business. And whilst they're very similar in characteristics to the way in which you would operate a commercial enterprise, there are some things that just make them fundamentally different. And it's the difference that the community values. People don't value not-for-profits and provide enormous tax concessions for them and benefits over and above that they give to any other organisation because they're the same as those organisations. The only reason the Australian people provide billions of dollars worth of benefits over time is because of the difference. And what are the differences? The difference is being absolutely focused on the outcomes of the clients and consumers over the long term. It's about a common purpose or a social purpose which drives the activity rather than the growth and development of the organisation itself. It's about the way in which you do the business and the ethical context within which you operate. And those factors are important. Now, some people say, well, a hospital run by the government, a hospital run by for profit, a hospital run by a faith-based organisation, they're all the same, there's no difference. That is not true. They may, in fact, look the same and they may operate in the same way in terms of the actual quality of care. But there will be characteristics in relation to the way in which they are governed and which they operate and the purposes for which they operate. So, for example, you know, in the Catholic healthcare space, St Vincent's Hospital runs a private hospital, a public hospital, but it also runs outreach for the poor, for homeless people, for drug and alcohol. It used to run the hospice as well, particularly for HIV patients, when in fact they were scourged, you know, to the rest of the organisations. So when we actually look at it, they, my point for boards is to understand the actual organisation you're operating and the space within which they're operating. And it really comes back to those sorts of fundamental points. Uh, the second thing is we, the not-for-profit sector does need the skills from the commercial world. Um, there are many, many areas uh, that um, uh, commercial uh, uh, people from the commercial sector bring to the sector which will improve the efficiency and effectiveness of the sector. But they have to be used within this context um, for which a social purpose organisation exists and operates. So the one thing I hate hearing is when people say, oh, we're the same, or they aspire to be the same as a for-profit operator. As soon as you hear that, you know something's missing. Something in this equation is missing. Now, it's got nothing to do with the quality of service that you provide. After all, nearly all our human services operate according to codes, codes of conduct, accreditation, mandatory standards. So in terms of operationally, they all operate in the same way. Childcare centres are a classic example. But the way in which the organisation operates and the purpose for which it operates is somewhat different. Now, I don't want to overstate it, but one thing I can tell you is not-for-profits are not the same as for-profits, and frankly, they shouldn't be. But if they are, the community is certainly not going to continue to allow these enormous benefits to be provided through the tax system um, if they're exactly the same. It's just not going to happen. Mm. And the not-for-profit sector needs to be very careful um, that uh, by trying to look the same and be the same, um, ultimately the community will say, well, we'll treat you the same.
Robert, one of the ways in which not-for-profits and for-profits are not the same is that in the for-profit world, mergers and acquisitions happen with uh, great regularity. Uh, we could argue how effective they actually are. That could be a topic sure. of a separate interview. Um, but certainly th th that is one of the mechanisms for strengthening the sector is through healthy merger, acquisition, and partnership work. In the not-for-profit sector, we haven't seen a lot of that to yeah. date. And part of that, in our view, is tied up in two factors. One factor is a board's risk tolerance. So boards are not taking risks that they would in their commercial board positions in the boards Correct. that they sit on for not-for-profits, that's number one. And number two, there seems to be almost a uh, identity challenge for boards that they see their interests tied up with the success of their individual organization. And should that organization no longer operate, they would be a loss of identity or a, a loss sure. of purpose. Is that inhibiting or preventing a healthier sector by not allowing for the types of mergers that we've seen in other sectors? Well, I think you've identified two of the key reasons. There's no question at all that there is a reluctance within the not-for-profit space to to merge with other organisations, and so what you have seen is is collaborative ventures, um, you know, federated organisations, and so on and so forth, but not too many absolute mergers and acquisitions, even less so. Um, I think that's going to change, but not dramatically. I think we will see organisations, um, particularly in these very um, market-rich uh, uh, environments that we're starting to see develop, who will in fact uh, start to merge or acquire other organisations. So I think that will change. But you're right, the barriers are quite substantial. Um, one of the things that does happen in the not-for-profit space is even people from the commercial world absolutely do reduce their tolerance for risk in it. Now, that's actually true. And I'm not sure why it happens, but when they move from the commercial world into the not-for-profits, they almost change. They stop being... They, in fact, they, they often lose what the very thing that you actually ask them on the board to be. And risk is one of those, and I'm not sure what lies behind it. But the second point you're right is about the identity of the organisation. And I think there is a, a notion that uh, you know our job is to maintain the rich heritage of these organisations. Because these organisations often go back you know, 50, 100, 150, 200 years. And they do have an extraordinary um, heritage, if you like. And people want to maintain that. And my point is, if you go to the best interest framework and you actually start to say, we're actually about a social purpose, and we're actually about delivering genuine life-enhancing impacts for particular groups, that's got to drive your motivation. And if that can be better achieved by coming together with another one or two agencies, I would like to think some boards are courageous enough to do that. Now, you won't do that if you're just focused on the organisation. You'll make decisions that are organisational. And that's, I think, what happens in the commercial world. I think there's a good case for mergers and acquisitions because it may be in the best interests of particular groups. But if I can just be clear, I think we'll end up in exactly the same space as business. In Australia, in every industry, there's probably four, five or six very large national players. Then you have another subset of reasonably significant-sized regional players, and then you have a multitude of small um, operators. Now, that's exactly what will happen in the not-for-profit space in each of the human service areas. We will see a small number of very large organisations, some of which will arise from mergers and acquisitions. We'll see regional players of reasonable size, and then we're going to see a plethora of small ones. You, and I think we will simply mimic what happens in most marketplaces. So we're not going to see the destruction of all small agencies, nor are we going to see 20 or 30 huge players. 
Australia does not operate in that way. Um, we operate in a very clear way. And frankly, I think that's going to start to emerge. Some of those national players will be by, nas- by just ordinary growth, uh, but some of them will be uh, by acquisition or merger, and I think we're starting to see that. But it won't be as great as people um, currently predict, I think. Uh, but we'll just wait and see. Um, it's an evolution in the, in the market. But the, but the notion of maintaining the rich heritage of the organisation and not letting that go um, is very, very strong. And that cultural differences that exist between organisations um, is a very strong barrier. Now, sometimes it's a plus, but sometimes it's a barrier. Is there a confusion about the fiduciary duty of a board member in the not-for-profit space? There can be, if you see it in a very narrow term. So directors are required to act in the best interests of the company or the organisation. It's the first goal. And that simply leads you to question, well, what is that best interest? If the best interest is to serve the needs of particular people in a particular way, then that gives you a particular um, view of what best interest means. If you see it as really narrow, and this is about the growth and development and the financial stability of the organisation in that narrowest form, then you'll make decisions accordingly. It's absolutely clear. The law is clear. But what's not clear is is your breadth of vision when you're looking at best interest. So we've seen this very specifically with some uh, organisations in the disability space that were founded by family members for the benefit of their family and people with a disability in their family. They got together, they created this organisation, and now the organisation's several years on grown a bit. But the question remains for them, are they there to protect the interests of their family members and of the members of the organisation, or do they have a broader remit to having done a very good service for a set of people, extend that and offer that to other people? How would you help them make that It's an evolution. What they've done is by founding these organisations to support their relatives, and you're absolutely right, in the disability area, that was largely how it came about. Um, They have to see themselves in part of an evolution where they've got a broader remit or a broader responsibility to a broader group of people. So, in fact, it's building on the extraordinary commitment and dedication of those people but it's actually helping it to evolve to be something even bigger, greater, and uh, even more beneficial to the Australian society. And that's a journey. Now, some people can't make that journey and they break out or they become, uh, they become uh, critics of the organisation saying they've lost their purpose and mission. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes they have, and it's good that those people hold us to account. But we are in part of an evolution, and many of these small organisations, particularly in the disability area, are going to be very substantial. But the benefits that those organisations can deliver for a broader group of people are very exciting and very necessary. So I hope those people that founded these organisations can, in fact, help shape and guide and be part of that evolution. But I fully understand that right at the moment in the not-for-profit space, and particularly in the disability area, there are grave concerns that both the competition, the market itself, the institutional um, governances are moving these organisations away from their founding base. Um, I don't think they are in terms of the actual goal, but I think for many that were in part of these small organisations, I think what they're seeing is very difficult. I just hope they can be part of that evolution. But I would make one comment. There is a place for small, very focused organisations. I don't buy the nonsense that people are saying is that there's no room for small players. I don't think that's true. And if we look at the commercial market, it's not true either. Mm -hmm. There are always very significant places for smaller operators um, who, who, who can meet the needs of people either based on location or particular characteristics in a way that, frankly, the large organisations can't. The larger they get, the less flexible they get. 
And that's the one good thing about small organisations. They may lack scale, but they are very adaptable and very flexible. And that's, there's always a role for those people. Related podcasts and articles can be found on the SVA quarterly site, www.socialventures.com.au forward slash SVA hyphen quarterly forward slash. Thank you.